I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, detecting lies, deception and fraud in the world of business. Cybercrime can lead nations into war and companies into economic peril. Gone are the days of cybercriminals operating in dark basements. Today, they are coordinated criminal gangs or state-sponsored actors. These cybercriminals coordinate their attacks across borders using the dark web to plan their attacks and trade in their illicit gains. It's a dark and sinister world of digital deception that lives in the shadows. To help us shine light on this phenomenon, we're joined by two-time Fulbright scholar, Professor Alex Freno, who is the Senior Deputy Vice-Chancellor at the University of Wollongong. Alex, we're seeing a rise in state-sponsored cyber attacks. Scott Morrison says that Australian organisations are being targeted by what he's described as a sophisticated state-based actor. Perhaps if we start with how cybercrime can potentially lead to international conflict, how has this changed in, in recent history? I think it's very interesting as a case in point that the battle that commenced in the Ukraine a few weeks ago didn't commence with carpet bombing, which is what we're accustomed to, but commenced with a cyber attack. That's where it started. So the Russians cyber attacked the Ukraine and then moved in their conventional ground forces in. So I think that, for me, was an absolute case in point in illustrating that the world is is a very different place and that cyber is front and centre of attacks of a military nature as well as of a corporate nature. And to take that a a step further, what does that mean for individual countries and global cooperation? Look, I think that the cyber problem, the cyber crime, cyber security problem cannot be solved by one country acting alone. I think it's going to be attacked most effectively through collaboration and cooperation of a multinational nature. So cyber criminals look for and attack the weakest link and then attempt to infiltrate and cross over. We had an example last year of a a service provider in the United States whose systems went down and it affected the Reserve Bank of Australia's website, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and so on. I think that illustrates just how linked IT systems are globally and the fact that a cyber attack on the weakest link offshore can affect all of us and more broadly. So it's going to have to be, for the most effective solution, it's going to have to be a global collaboration of the sort that we've never seen before, frankly. And what does that global cooperation look like? Some of the work that I'm doing is NATO-based, so it's NATO plus Australia plus the United States. The interesting thing about NATO is a couple of years ago, they announced that Article 5, which is the collective defence article NATO that says if an attack on one country is an attack on on all NATO countries and will draw an equal and opposite response. It was stated by one of the leaders at NATO that Article 5 would apply to cyber attacks. In fact, did apply to cyber attacks. So a, a cyber attack of a significant kind on a NATO nation could trigger Article 5 and a collective response by all NATO countries. So that's kind of interesting. That article, of course, hasn't been tested in a cyber sense yet. It's unclear how high the bar needs to be in order for Article 5 to be triggered, but I think it it demonstrates an awareness that this is a global issue and requires a global response. 
Now, if we turn from global cooperation to corporations, because of course, it's not just countries, but but also companies that need to be concerned about these cyber attacks. You've recently completed some research on the cost of cyber attacks in Australia. What is that research telling us? Yeah, so we, we looked at cyber attacks on major Australian listed companies. And what we were trying to get at was the cost foisted on companies, not just of an out-of-pocket sense, but also of a, a reputational sense. And we were trying to quantify what the aggregate cost of a cyber attack that was successful, I don't like using that word, but one that penetrated the systems of a company costed. We looked at approximately 40 cyber attacks that were reported in the media over the last 10 years. And the bottom line number, or the headline number here, is 4.5%. So the cost of a cyber attack, on average, causes a decline in the value of a company of the order of 4.5%. The sample of companies we looked at were, on average, worth $10 billion. It's a huge amount of money. So, I mean, obviously, it depends on the size of the company, but 4.5% of your market value is the expected cost foisted on a company from a, a successful, in inverted commas, successful cyber attack. How do we determine how much cyber attacks impact companies and the economy? The literature talks about two main types of costs. They talk about out-of-pocket costs. That includes remediation of your system. So we've been cyber attacked. We've been penetrated. We need to build stronger defences. The cost of, of those, any legal suits, any regulatory actions, all those go into a bucket called out-of-pocket costs. And the second major component of costs is reputational costs. So if you think about a bank that announces it's been cyber attacked and has lost sensitive data, then the customers of, of that bank may walk away from it. So that's what we mean by reputational costs. So the literature's kind of suggested that the majority of, of costs incurred by companies that face successful cyber attacks are typically the latter. So they're typically reputational costs. That's not to say that out-of-pocket costs are not insignificant. They're very significant, but 98, 99% of the damage done is to a company's reputation. So that's a very interesting point and very clear out of the most recent literature. And are there certain types of attacks that result in more significant financial losses? Yeah, absolutely. So cyber attacks that steal sensitive data especially of a financial type, have more significant reputational impacts on companies, especially if they're in the financial services sector, which is a focus of cyber criminals. So that's very clear in the literature, and it's also very clear in our, our research that if systems have been compromised and information of a financial type have been taken, that the impact is greater. We found for Australia that the majority of cyber attacks were one of three types. Firstly, a denial of service attacks that represented about a third of our sample. Secondly, hack and steal data attacks were the second type of common attack. And then thirdly, ransomware attacks. There was no one of those three that was dominant. They were all equally important. I think in our sample, the hack and steal financially sensitive data was the most expensive type of attack in, in terms of reputational costs. 
criminal gangs are increasing the severity of attacks as a cyber incident is reported every eight minutes. Companies are facing increased attacks and more coordinated attacks. So it's it's not becoming an if you'll be attacked, but when will you find yourself in the sights of those cyber criminals? What are some of the things that business leaders should be considering when they're determining what investment they should make in, in cyber defences? Yeah, so this is a focus of my research. Essentially, the, the amount that you can invest in cyber security is infinite. You can just keep buying and buying systems and improvements and, and whatnot to improve your IT system. So the question, how much would I spend on cyber security? The answer to that is how long is a piece of string? So companies have to be quite sensible about how they go about deciding what the appropriate level of investment is. We built a little model that demonstrates that there's actually an optimum amount of investment in cybersecurity. And it's a function of three things, very logical. One is the chance that you'll be cyber attacked. Two is the chance if you're attacked, what the chance of success is of that attack. And thirdly, if you're attacked and it's successful, what is the cost? You can use those three things to estimate the expected cost of a cyber attack, and you have to weigh that up against your investment. So, for example, it doesn't make sense if the expected cost of a cyber attack on a company at any point in time is $10 million. There's no point in spending $100 million to solve the problem. So the solution very much depends on the, those three variables and what those variables mean to individual companies is basically up to them to investigate and decide. But there is an optimum. That's the important point. And when that day of compromise does ultimately arrive, companies need to not only think about their cyber response, but also what and when they'll tell the public. So what are some of the considerations for companies here? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the law is very clear. When you're cyber attacked, if uh, you expect it to have an impact on your market value, your share price, then it's price-sensitive information and you have to tell the market. I think the law is clear. In our research, I think we were very surprised by the relative infrequency with which the market found out directly from the companies. So of the 40 companies that we examined, only six directly reported it to the market through the regular channels through the Australian Stock Exchange signals. Most of the time, the market found out through media and through a secondary source, like a customer of a particular company told the media who then reported it. So there's clearly some companies that are falling foul of continuous disclosure rules, and they need to be careful about that. So we need to tighten up a little on our reporting of cyber attacks. And I guess companies need to be aware that you know, on average, the impact of a cyber attack is 4.5% of their market value. That's the expectation, and therefore that's reportable. If we look at what's happening in the United States, the United States, the SEC, is playing around with a rule in which they will require companies to report the existence of a cyber attack, a successful cyber attack, within four days of that attack, within four days of the company knowing that it's been cyber attacked, they'll have to tell the market. I think that's indicative of the fact that at least the SEC, who usually gets it right, appreciates and understands the importance of telling the market early that a company's been cyber attacked. 
So it's a very, very important issue. And there's a number of considerations that companies need to take into account when deciding whether to pay a ransom. It's a very complex issue. And it's complex because you don't want to tell the market or you don't want cyber criminals to know that you're the type of company that pays ransomware because that could make you a target. So it's complex. And there's no doubt that sometimes it makes sense for a company to pay ransomware and at other times, absolutely not. So it's very, very specific to the circumstances, but companies need to think about the second order effects of paying a ransom in that if it becomes known in the cyber criminal world that you do pay a ransom, then you will definitely be subject to more cyber attacks in future of a ransomware variety. Deceit in the digital world can bring companies to their knees. Criminals across the globe can coordinate their attacks and hold companies, and potentially even nations, to ransom. But back in the physical world, deceit and greed can literally condemn people to a life of slavery, where they can barely make enough to feed themselves and their children. Next episode, we'll explore what happens when lies and deceit create the conditions of modern slavery. We'll be joined by Richard Buller, KPMG's Global Leader of Business and Human Rights, and Kylie Porter, Executive Director of the United Nations Global Compact Network Australia. We'll look at the human face of modern slavery and how this exploitation impacts organisations and individuals. There are 40 million people in the world who live in modern slavery-like conditions. And of that, they think that there is at least 16 million within the private sector alone. If you'd like to know more about how KPMG works with organisations to prevent deception and restore trust, head over to our website, which you can find by searching KPMG Forensic. I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens. See you next time.